0: This morning, without any further ado, I'm very excited to announce that we are starting the book of Third Corinthians today. <laughs> We're starting the book of Galatians. So uh, this is continuing our journey uh, through God's Word, and this morning we are starting, and you're here on a very special day, because in the young life of our church, uh, being almost four and a half years old, we are in now our, let's see here, we started in Acts, we went through Romans, 1st Corinthians, 2nd Corinthians, and now our fifth book we're going to be looking at this morning uh, as we go through God's Word, Galatians. And so, I believe, as the Lord is true to His Word, that He will honor the teaching of His Word. And I believe that it will not only continue to bring life to this church, but it's going to bring life to you and to your family as well. As you study God's Word, as you hear from the Lord, as you apply these things to your life. And so, as we get into a new book, I like to give, I I typically like to give an introduction and background. So, just a a quick intro uh, to this book, and then we'll get into verses one through five this morning. But those that were in Galatia, they were called Galatians, interestingly enough, uh, to whom this letter is addressed. They were of Celtic descent, so they would be rooting for Boston at this time. Namely, the Gauls. This is, this is the, the ethnic descent of the people in Galatia. Uh, they were really what was left of the Gaulish invasion, as it is called, that covered southeastern Europe uh, during the third century before Christ. A hundred years after that, they were conquered by the Roman Empire, and they became a Roman province. They became a Roman province province. And so though they had kept most of their ancient uh, language and culture, uh, they very quickly soaked up the culture of the Greeks. Also in that area, and I would even say ironically, there were Jews that settled in that region and they were the very Jews that paved the way for the gospel to be preached by Paul. And I say ironically, because they were also the same group of people that caused such a problem in the Galatian church. Uh, It's very unfortunate, and we'll see this, The, the Christians in Galatia were deviating, they were drifting from a faith, in Jesus Christ alone for salvation back into a form of Judaism, back into a form of earning your way to heaven, back to a works-based religion that they were not supposed to be getting involved with because we know that by grace we've been saved through faith. And so the same Jews that settled there that were the open door were also the same ones that would end up causing problems later on down the road. Now, secular historians tell us that the Galatians, they were generous people. Uh, that's a nice attribute to have. It says they also uh, were impulsive. They were vehement in feeling, meaning they were passionate. And in their language, they took pride in it. But it also says that the Galatians, that region, the, the people were known for being vain and fickle and quarrelsome. Maybe we know some people like that. I don't know. Caesar wrote of the Galatians, or really the Gauls, he said this, and I quote, "...they are fickle in their resolves, fond of change, and not to be trusted." End of quote. Also, eight of the fifteen works of the flesh listed in this letter that we'll see are sins of strife. 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 So fighting, arguing, debating, division. The Galatians were very critical. They were hurtful and they were divisive. And this letter that Paul penned, and we're going to be getting into it in just a moment, don't worry, uh, was to address certain issues that were causing disputes and division and controversy in the church. The church was arguing with each other. They were splitting Uh, there, there, There were things that were going on in the church that ought not to be so. And the two things that we're going to see addressed here in this letter, number one is Paul's apostleship, really dealing with his spiritual authority and leadership in the church. And then secondly, the main thing that we're going to see is the gospel was under attack. And I had mentioned this earlier that there were false teachers that had snuck into the church that were saying that faith in Jesus was not enough for salvation. That there were other things that you needed to do in order to be saved. And so, here we go as we start this section. I have two points for you this morning. Point number one is attack the messenger. Attack the messenger. Now, as we work through this over the next... Probably six, seven, eight months as we go through this book, uh, you're going to see Paul addressing certain attacks on him personally. I think this must have been very, very painful for Paul to experience because these were the people that he led to the Lord. He wasn't planting on another or building on an, another man's foundation, he didn't go over and take over a church. He was the one that actually went into a new area shared the gospel of Jesus Christ, people responded in faith, and the church was established. He was their spiritual father, so to speak. He was the one responsible for leading them to the Lord. And so the people that he led to the Lord and taught the Bible to were the very ones that were believing lies spread about him by false teachers that had infiltrated the church. So not only were they drifting, and we'll get to this later on, but drifting from the message of the gospel, which is faith in Jesus alone for salvation, they were believing the lies of false teachers that had come into the church. I mean, it's one thing to have lies spoken of you, but when it's people that are close to you believe those lies, it's particularly hurtful. You know, when somebody, you know, that you trust, and they start hearing something from someone else, and they maybe know something about you that you don't even know about you, whatever it may be, and and, and they start to validate these lies because they're believing them. The first thing that was attacked here, and we see this in this letter, was Paul's spiritual authority. You know, who he was as a spiritual leader was brought into question. You know, is is Paul really exercising wisdom in his dealings? Is Paul really even in the position to begin with to exercise spiritual authority over the church? Attacking who he is and and who uh, he was representing. This is a very common tactic of the enemy because if he can attack the messenger, he can then attack the message. Isn't that true? If he can attack the messenger, then he can start chipping away at the messenger's message. In this case, the messenger was Paul. And the message that he was bringing was the gospel pertaining to faith in Jesus. And that is what threatens the enemy. The gospel of Jesus Christ. The power to save. Really, that's the ultimate goal of Satan. To attack the teaching of God's Word. To attack the power of the Gospel to transform and change people's lives. Because that's a threat to the kingdom of darkness. And so if you are in the forefront... If you are a Christian following the Lord and living out the gospel, living out what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a threat to the enemy. And so the enemy wants to come and take your legs out from underneath of you. He wants to attack you and attack your marriage and attack your children, attack your family, attack your life, attack you at your job because you're being a light in a dark world. I love this quote, it's from a very old preacher's homiletic commentary, and it says this, and I quote, it has ever been the role of the subtle adversary of man to strive to eliminate the divine element from the truth and drag it down to a common human level. Truth then loses its stability begins to move in a flux of confused human opinions, and the soul is plunged into bewilderment and doubt. End of quote. See, whatever attacks the truth leads man to be without peace. When the authority behind the truth begins or is sought to be removed, then truth starts becoming wobbling. It starts to become you know, whatever man's opinion thinks it should be. Then we start doubting what is truth. You can't handle the truth or whatever it might be. And we say, well, I believe this is truth. No, I believe that is truth. Well, how can both of those things be truth when they're completely antithetical to each other? Well, that's my truth. It may not be your truth. And then, you know, that's your truth may not be my truth. You know, I believe what is truth is that it's right for me to come and smack you in the face. And so I'm sorry if you have a problem with that. That's my truth. You know, and so we start seeing that every man does what is right in his own eyes. And so, when the enemy seeks to attack the messenger proclaiming God's Word, it's so that he can attack the message and remove the authority behind the message that is being preached. See, when you remove the authority behind the truth, you remove the power to implement it. And that's why we can see even in our society today where people will try to take the principles of God's Word, but not the power of the Holy Spirit working through it. And it's not the same. You cannot take the principles without the person that is the authority behind it. We might want to remove God and say, hey, these are great you know, things to live by, but if you don't have the power of the Holy Spirit, you do not have the power to apply those things to your life. And so in verse 1 now, Paul says, Paul, this is his introduction, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised Him from the dead. And all the brethren, verse 2, who are with me, He addresses to the churches in Galatia. So, Paul was called to be an apostle by none other than God. Now, for those of you that have studied the Bible for some time or are familiar with the life of the apostles, the disciples of Jesus Christ, if you look at the types of problems they had, the the type of pain that they experience, the brutal martyrs, you know that we read in uh, <laughs> Fox's Book of Martyrs. They're insane. You ask yourself, who in the world would ever be an apostle? Why would you say, sign me up for that? Well, you don't necessarily say, sign me up. This is a calling that the Lord has upon an individual's life. Paul's calling from the Lord was not contingent upon others' opinions on the matter. This is important. So as Paul's laying the groundwork, his calling from the Lord has nothing to do with anybody else. Your calling, though Paul, when we're looking in context as an apostle, whatever the Lord's called you to do has nothing to do with anybody else what they think of it, what they don't think of it, what they like, what they don't like, you are to be obedient to the Lord. This is where your confidence comes from. They question His calling by means of of, of attempting to disqualify Him or to find fault. Someone might try to disqualify you and say, I don't believe this is what you should be doing, or I don't think this is the right thing. But we'll see that these false teachers had their own personal agenda. However, Paul stood blameless before the Lord as the Lord was the one that placed him in the position that he was in. Now, Paul's position, and for those of you that are Bible scholars and you want to grow and learn in your understanding, learn and grow in your understanding of God's Word, Paul's position was not for the coward it was not for the heartless fainting under the pressure of those negative opinions seeking to question his calling weaken his god-given authority render the truth of his message doubtful it appears and we'll see this and i'm giving you a heads up on this but it would appear that those with a personal agenda sought to shake the truth preached by Paul in order to establish their own truth. Discount the messenger. We can start removing his message. And when that message has been removed, we can insert our lie here. Paul wrote to the church in Rome regarding those speaking contrary to the truth of God's Word. Romans 16, verses 17-18. through He said, Now I urge you, brethren, Note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ but their own belly and by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. He says to note them. He says to be like, that person right there causes division in the church. That person is the one that we want to watch out for. He says, be aware of those individuals. They're the type of people that cause friends to split. Churches to split. They're the ones that you can trace back to the epicenter of divisions. Paul says you're to avoid such people. Don't give what they have to say any airtime. So Paul simply states that those individuals are saying what they're saying. They're saying, hey, we're saying this out of service to the Lord. But they're conducting themselves in a manner that is self-serving. Their speech is smooth and deceptive, so watch out. So Paul leads off with the fact that his position is not from men. You see that in verse 1. Nor is it through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And really, this is the message that Paul has shared with them since the beginning. This is also the message that those that were false teachers were seeking to lead the Galatians away from. So in our first verse here, through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised Him from the dead. There are people in the church that wanted to lead the people in that church away from that truth. Now, I don't know if you've seen this floating around on Facebook. I did, and I was absolutely shocked. Absolutely shocked. And that's probably one of the understatements of this year already. Where there is a church up in Washington that has changed its view from a biblical worldview to a worldly, secular worldview. Where the pastor not only has changed his view on what the Bible says about sexuality, but he's also just misrepresented the Lord in such a terrible way. Terrible way. Putting words into Jesus' mouth where He's from the pulpit using foul language quoting Jesus as saying BS and not abbreviating it. Oh yeah, you know, the religious leaders of the day came to Jesus and they said this, this, and that about our holy book, and Jesus was just like BS. And I'm like, what? What in the world? Matthew chapter 12, verses 34 through 37, Jesus said, Broad or brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Now the Jesus that I know in the Bible is not the same Jesus that would use foul language nor approve his disciples using either. Either. I mean, I don't even know where to begin. I don't take time from the pulpit to say these things very often, but I'm absolutely blown away that this would be deemed as appropriate and have an audience that would laugh about that and think that that's funny. It's not funny. Can out of the same mouth proceed blessings and cursings? These things ought not to be so. It's not right. And so. Regardless of the rumors of the lies and the people that were believing of them, Paul states that he was ordained by the Lord, and with that ordination carries not only the responsibility but also an authority over spiritual matters in the church. That was his position. Paul was able to state with much confidence that what he was doing, he is supposed to be doing, regardless of what others' opinions on the matter may be. And that's absolutely right, because the Lord has established in the church order, He has established leadership, those with spiritual authority that minister to the body of Christ concerning spiritual things. It could be a pastor, it could be an elder. Can be somebody that's in a place where they have been recognized by the Lord and by the, the 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 gathering of the leadership in a church to say this man has a good reputation. He's filled with the Holy Spirit and he exercises wisdom. The same thing that is found in Acts chapter six. It's a place of spiritual responsibility, spiritual accountability, but there's also spiritual authority. And so Paul is stating that this is the case. And that's why he's going to be communicating in such a manner. And so, though they were attacking the messenger, their real aim was to attack the message. And that's point number two this morning. Point number one, attack the messenger in order to point number two, attack the message. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 13 through 16, it says, But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And so in this very first verse, he says, Paul, an apostle, not from man or from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. This is the message of the gospel. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that dwells in the life of the believer of Jesus Christ, those that have faith in him. It's the power of the indisputable fact of Jesus' resurrection from the dead that brings people face to face with their only way to heaven salvation through our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. There is a resurrection from the dead. Jesus proved it with Lazarus, the boy that was dead, and as he was being carried out to be buried, the Lord raised him from the dead, even Jesus Himself. If Jesus was still in the tomb, He would have been disqualified as to who He led people to believe He was. He would have been found out to be a liar. Jesus' resurrection from the dead and what He says here in our intro verses, is not a small thing. It's not a small issue. Jesus, if He had not been raised from the dead, would have been forever labeled a deceiver. If there's no afterlife, if there's no resurrection from the dead, if Jesus didn't rise from the grave as He said, then the Gospel is dead, our preaching is empty, and so is your faith. Listen to these things just real quick. I'm going to kind of rattle off five things real quickly here. The divinity of Jesus rests on the resurrection of Jesus. Romans chapter 1, verse 4. Number 2, the sovereignty of Jesus rests on the resurrection of Jesus. Romans 14, verse 9. And you can look at this later. Our justification rests on the resurrection of Jesus Romans 4:25 fourthly our regeneration being made alive spiritually rests on the resurrection of Jesus and then five number 5 our ultimate resurrection rests on the resurrection of Jesus Romans 8:11 and so in our church in Galatia if the false teachers could only remove the authority behind the messenger then the authority of the message can be attacked and we will see that as blatant of an attack that this is, we will see Paul write later on. Verses 6-7, through seven, we'll get there in a couple of weeks, if not next week. He says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from Him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different Gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the Gospel of Christ. Truth brings stability. For without truth, you are without peace. You are double-minded and unstable in all of your ways. And what you're going to see happening in this church here in Galatia is that because the church rejected the truth, they started to waffle on everything that they had formerly known to be true. And because they started to reject the truth, great instability crept into the church. And when a church is unstable, it starts to fall apart because there is nothing holding it together the way that it's supposed to be. See, what holds the church together and keeps a church strong is the foundation of the truth of God's Word. For without that, we're like what Jesus said. You're building your house on the sand. And the waves are going to come. The wind's going to blow. The water's going to rise. And your house will fall greatly. And so, all the problems that we're going to study in this letter have a basic beginning in their rejection of the authority of God's Word through the authority of God's messenger, whom we know as Paul. So, for this group, and I shared this earlier at the beginning, that were historically known for being fickle, love to change. They were actually rejecting the very thing that brought them security, stability, and peace. The people that were known to be all over the place were actually honing in. They were becoming even keel. They were balanced and they were stable because they had the truth. But then you start to see it all unravel. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you, verse 3, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The Galatians had received the peace of God because they had received the grace of God. That grace and peace came from receiving the truth of God. If you don't know this already, most of you probably do, but just so everybody's on the same page, grace is unmerited blessings that come from God. They're the very thing. It's the very thing that enables me to have a personal relationship with the Lord, and it brings such peace. The Lord blesses us. We don't deserve it. See, without the grace of the Lord, we are without the peace of the Lord. And that's a tangible feeling that affects the whole church. Paul would write later in this letter in chapter 5, verse 4, he says, you have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. You're trying to earn your way. You're trying to do things contrary to what God's Word says. You've fallen from grace. And one of the issues that were plaguing the church was the sufficiency or understanding that, that Christ alone is what makes us sufficient that whole issue of hey just uh, solo christos i think is what it, what it is in latin there's five solas and, and and one of those things is christ alone it means that christ alone is what is necessary for salvation christ alone is what makes you sufficient for salvation this is a huge thing The church was believing that there were other things they needed to do to be saved. And if you seek another way to salvation apart from faith, we've fallen from grace. Fall from the grace of the Lord and the peace of the Lord falls from you. So the enemy will attack the messenger in order to attack the message, in order to attack the people that are hearing it. And it was imperative for Paul to be secure in his calling, number one, before the Lord, because there would be strong opposition by the enemy. To shut Him down. To shut down the work that was taking place through Him. You need, I need, to be confident in what God has called us to do. In John 14, verse 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So the peace of the Lord, that surpasses all understanding, is different from the peace that the world gives, and that the peace of the Lord is not contingent upon anything or anyone but the Lord. This is a very important thing for us to understand because we tend to get ourselves into trouble when we don't know what the Lord is calling us to do. We try to wing it, or we don't seek the Lord and pray and ask the Lord for wisdom. And so somebody calls us out on something or questions it or we run into spiritual opposition and then we get angry, we get defensive, we try defending ourselves, we try, you know, whatever it might be. When you know what you're supposed to be doing is right before the Lord, there is a peace there and there is a confidence there. And it doesn't matter if the whole world turns on you and says, we are against you. You know that the Lord is with you and what you're doing is right. And so there is a peace there. Because you know the truth of the Lord and that brings stability in your life. That's what we want. That's what we need. We need that peace from the Lord. Back in verse 3, we read, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it's funny because for years, people have thought that was His name. It was His first, middle, and last name. Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, (laughs) Lord is His title. Jesus is His name. And Christ is His calling. And that's a perfect segue into verse 4, which says, of Jesus who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. We are four verses in, and we have already now the gospel message. This is what Paul is leading off with. Jesus was raised from the dead because he gave his life for the sins of the world. Paul doesn't waste any time, he just goes right there. Jesus gave Himself for our sins. He didn't die for His sins. He died for our sins. 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For He made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. That's an amazing truth of God's Word. Jesus made Him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. And because of what Jesus did for us, we're delivered from this present evil age. I mean, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but this world is an evil place. I don't know if I've had a recent revelation of this truth due to the fact that I'm getting older, and obviously that's relative, and I have kids that I wonder about what their world is going to be like. You know, Ruth and I were talking about, man, maybe the world has just always been this bad and we're just becoming more aware of it now. But have you ever noticed that there are a lot of strange people in this world? Doing crazy things. I mean, the Lord tells us in His Word they call right, wrong, and they call what is wrong, right. And then those that are saying that right is wrong and wrong is right are those that are legislating for the entire country. How does that happen? Edmund Burke said, the only thing needed for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. And see, the church has lost its power because we've stopped believing that God is mighty to save. We have forgotten the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. We have forgotten that greater is He who is in us than He who is in the world. This present evil age, it says here in verse 4, denotes just not someone that is corrupt themselves, but this phrase, that present evil age, is not just someone that is corrupt themselves, but someone that is discontent without corrupting others as well. Isn't that fascinating? You have somebody that is corrupt themselves, but they're just not good enough. It's not good enough for them just to be able to do what they want to do with themselves. They want to now force that on everybody else. They're evil, and they want others to be evil as well. That sounds just like a place where we live California. Romans 32 it says, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, they not only do the same, but also approve of those practicing them. That's 2018. That's right now. They do evil themselves and they approve and they've even taken it one step further where they are forcing others to do it as well. So it says, Jesus gave Himself that we might be delivered. Hallelujah! Amen. We will not be delivered from the substance of evil until, until we are in heaven. However, we are delivered from the strength of evil right now. Because the Lord gives us strength. We know the truth. The truth makes us free in all of this, though it benefits us greatly. In verse 4, it says, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So all the glory goes to God the Father. Jesus taught His disciples to pray as you remember the Lord's prayer. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. And Yours is the glory forever. Amen. And so as we dive into this book, I know that the Lord is going to do a great work in our lives and in our church. we got a lot to learn from this this letter to the Galatians. we got a lot to learn in our own lives personally. And my prayer for you and for our church, and I hope that it is your prayer for you and for your church, that we may be filled with the Holy Spirit. That we may not be overtaken by sin, but that we would shine as lights in this world understanding the power of the truth of God's Word. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the truth of God's Word to give us our bearings in this life to bring stability when there is chaos all around us. So hold fast to God's Word. We've got an exciting road ahead of us as we study this letter. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You, God, for sending Your only Son, Jesus, to die on the cross for the sins of the world. And Lord, I pray that today, You would forgive us of our sins. That You would fill us afresh with Your Holy Spirit. Lord, I ask that today, even as it's our first Sunday in the month of May, Lord, as we observe communion, and Lord, we ask that You would please just begin that work in our own lives. Begin the work in our family. Lord, begin that work in our job. So Father, we thank You that it was part of Your plan, part of Your perfect will to send Jesus to die on the cross for the sins of this world to be raised again on the third day. The power of the Gospel, mighty to save. Lord, may we not turn from that. May we hold fast to it. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.